Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. From Northern Ireland to Palestine, Scotland to Catalonia, the question of what programme to put forward in states containing minority nations has always been a key one for socialists. And that's only intensified in this era of capitalist crisis. Today we're discussing what approach should be taken in general and how we apply that to the situation in Northern Ireland today, particularly given the complications presented by Brexit. Over to Sarah Rack. Okay, I'm here today with Niall Mulholland from the Committee for a Workers International, which is the international organisation that the Socialist Party is part of. Um, And today we're going to be discussing the national question. And I'm not going to give much more introduction than that, because I think our our first question should be, uh, what do we mean by the national question? It's not something that's kind of everyday language for mm. most people, is it, Niall? No, th- uh, thank you, Sarah. I, th- I think the national question, it's uh, a term that socialists or Marxists use. And uh, generally speaking, in the current situation, it's a term we use when we're talking about national issues, usually disputed issues. So, for example, the case of Ireland. Uh, Scotland, Catalonia, or uh, further afield places like Sri Lanka. And uh, we would define a nation broadly based on how Lenin described a nation, where he described it as a, a people who have a distinct and common uh, culture, language, uh, territory, and so on, although not necessarily all those things. And very often the disputes today are about the issue of territory and uh, so on. And um, really the idea is the idea of a nation state, as we understand it in the modern sense, developed through the capitalist revolutions, the bourgeois democratic revolutions, as Marxists call them, which saw the ending of feudalism, the tying together of uh, new states. And from these, very often uh, local differences and so on were overcome and new nation states were created. But some of them are multinational states, for example, the case of Britain. And uh, what seemed to be overcome historically can come back to the fore again and be a new problem. So, for example, we've seen the development of, in recent years, of Scottish nationalism in Britain, where at one point that had uh, seemed to have been receded into the background at the height of the empire and so on. So So it's a living issue. And basically the national question is just shorthand for where the national question uh, as an issue or a contentious issue in different countries. And we kind of emphasise that this is a very important issue to have the correct approach on, isn't it? And that actually it's kind of been the making or breaking of different socialist organisations throughout history. So why, why do you think it is that it's so important for socialists to, to take the right attitude towards it? Hmm. Well, I think fundamentally where the national question is, is, a, is a big issue or a key question facing the workers' movement Unless the workers' movement has a correct approach on it, it can derail revolutions and uh, it it will stop the transformation of society along socialist lines. And Trotsky and Lenin wrote a great deal on this. Trotsky's ideas of the theory of the permanent revolution, uh, in that he put forward the idea that the capitalist class in the modern epoch is incapable of solving the tasks of the bourgeois democratic revolution. And that was particularly the case in colonial countries or semi-colonial countries, where very often, first and foremost, the struggle for national emancipation uh, has to be be won by the working class. So, for example, in the case of Ireland, we see that the Irish masses for hundreds of years 
um, have had heroic uprisings against colonial and imperialist rule, but again and again have been betrayed by the nationalist leaders, bourgeois nationalist leaders, middle class leaders, we would call them. And uh, this is because of the class differences. And we would say that the national question is always, to some degree, linked up to social issues and at root is a class question. And therefore, for Irish people historically to have um, national liberation, that could only come through the working class uh, coming to power. And the working class, of course, has no interest in national or religious oppression that uh, middle class or capitalist class leaders would have. And although formally, of course, today we have a Republic of Ireland, it obviously hasn't overcome the national question because we still have partition, we still have sectarianism, we have a very divided society in the north. So all those tasks are tasks that the working class through change in society have to try and overcome. And that's why it's so important. That's just one example, because if we don't do that, we face uh, setbacks and defeats. And in the case of Ireland, of course, um, with partition, uh, with the island being divided by British imperialism in the early 1920s, we saw what James Connolly, the great Irish socialist, had predicted. He saw he, he predicted a carnival of reaction north and south and the labour movement being pushed back historically. And that's what took place. And it was a big defeat for the working class. And the ruling class, the British ruling class, intervened to do this in the early 20s because they feared the social movements and the revolutionary movements taking place in Ireland and internationally. And they wanted to safeguard their interests. So when the national question isn't resolved by socialists and the labour movement, it can lead to big defeats and setbacks. So when we look at what programme we should put forward in each specific uh, case, that there's not a, a formula, is there, for what the correct mm. approach is? And we kind of highlight that every situation is different and has to be uh, assessed like that. But are there general principles to how we should approach the situation and the national question in, in a particular place? Mm. Well, again, Lenin wrote a great deal on this and he developed the position of the Bolsheviks adopted leading up to the 1917 October Socialist Revolution and uh, he developed you know, an, an in-depth position on the national question which was absolutely key in Tsarist Russia because Lenin made the point himself that Tsarist Russia was a prison house of nationalities where I think it's over a hundred different nationalities or groups or minorities existed in the Tsarist Empire and the vast majority of them had those rights those cultural rights, language rights and so on, oppressed. And therefore, for the Bolsheviks, it was clear that they had to have put forward a programme that could win over those peoples to a socialist change in society. And Lenin advocated the idea of the right of self-determination up to and including separation for national minorities. At the same time, as he clearly said, that didn't mean that in every case, Marxist or socialist should call for separation. Uh, of one nation from another it depends very much on the concrete circumstances and it depends on the consciousness of the oppressed, what their demands are at any given period and, and, and over some time. So, for example, in the 1970s, in the case of Scotland, uh, the militant, as, as the Socialist Party used to be known in Britain, called for more autonomy for Scotland, for working class people to have more control over their affairs, to raise taxes, to bring in you know, meaningful change and reforms for working class people if there was a, a left Labour government and so on. So we so that was our position at that time. But then the situation changed quite dramatically in the late 1980s and the 1990s because Scotland went through a process of deindustrialisation, of rising unemployment. It was where the Tories pioneered the poll tax, 
which caused enormous anger and resentment. And the attitude of Scottish working class people began to change. And there were, it was became clear that there was a growing, growing majority who wanted uh, separation, who wanted their own independent state. And therefore, uh, as socialists, we had to take into account those democratic sentiments and the reasons for them. And therefore, uh, you know, since the 1990s, we've called for an independent Scotland. But of course, we pose it in a socialist sense. We call for a socialist independent Scotland. And we, and we say, of course, there should be still very strong links with the working class of England and Wales. And that uh, that's why we put forward the idea of an independent socialist Scotland, but as part of a federation of England, Scotland, Wales and uh, Ireland. And I think that's the, you know, that that's the the way to, to pose this question. So it's a very concrete, a very concrete issue. I mean, for example, also whenever the Bolsheviks did take power in 1917, and that was on the basis partly of having a correct program on the national question, when they did take power, they did, they did carry through what they actually said. They did stand for the right of self-determination, even if it meant separation, if that's what some of the oppressed nations wanted. And the people of Finland decided they wanted separation after 1917, and that took place. Other nations who had been oppressed under czarism, like the Ukraine, Georgia, uh, many of the stands in Central Asia, they elected instead to have a high degree of autonomy within the young uh, Soviet Union. And that was you know, a big major step forward for those people who had been oppressed. And it also led to a real big development in culture in those countries where, for example, it was the Russian Revolution which really allowed for the first time written languages to be developed alphabets to be developed and so on in some of the uh, you know countries that had been uh, semi semi literate and so on in in this in what's called the stands but um that process unfortunately was uh, tragically crushed by the stalinist degeneration of the russian revolution and stalin even though he came from a minority himself he was a georgian he acted on behalf of the russian chauvinist bureaucracy that took power and uh denied and even crushed national rights in a number of, uh, of these uh, republics. And it led to huge resentment over, over decades, which we see the, the results of that today. And, and, you know, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the, some of the civil wars that developed and the conflicts, which run on to today as well, as we can see between Ukraine and Russia and so on. So um, having a correct programme is essential for socialists and also learning the lessons of history. Any socialist state that has minorities within it, has to be democratic and uh, has to allow full participation and there has to be democratic rights. And if that's not the case, then it only stokes up, you know, further conflict between different national groupings and minorities. Okay, so to to move on to a particular example, maybe, I think here in Britain at the moment, the kind of the, the nearest and the thorniest uh, example of the national question that we're, that we're dealing with is in relation to Northern Ireland. Um, so maybe to start with, do you want to kind of outline what's been our long-standing position in relation to the national question in Ireland? Well, Ireland's uh, England's oldest colony and its last one in a sense. You know, that's, that's part of the argument. And um, it's, it, it's a complicated situation because you obviously have a, a long-running national question and also, of course, you've got sectarianism within Ireland itself, which uh, complicates the situation I mean, it's, and means that it's not just straightforward for socialists how they approach this uh, issue. Our, our first basis 
uh, we had the Socialist Party in Ireland now, North and South. And our first basis was almost 50 years ago, whenever we, we won over young people who were involved in the civil rights protests in the late 1960s in places like Derry and uh, other cities. And from the very start, we've had a clear position of calling for working class unity and, and a struggle against the bosses and a struggle for socialism. And that's it in broad terms. When you go into detail, it's, it's, it's more complicated than that because it is a very divided society. So and in the early days, in the late 1960s and, and so on, we, we called for a socialist united Ireland. But uh, as the troubles developed, as the civil rights struggle seemed to fail and young people more and more turned towards the IRA and other paramilitaries and British repression was increased, as all these developments took place, we saw a deepening of sectarian divisions between the two communities. And really in a short period of time, it wasn't adequate anymore just to have the slogan of Socialist United Ireland, because for many Protestants, they would only see the united part of that slogan and they would associate it with nationalism, with the paramilitary campaigns of the IRA and other groups, which they would think were directed against them. And therefore it, it wasn't applicable anymore. And we called for a socialist Ireland which leaves open really the exact relationship, if you like, after a socialist transformation of society. And we think in, in general, generally that a socialist change in society in Ireland would require such a high level of degree of unity in action between the working class, between the Catholic and Protestant working class, that they would be able to live together in a socialist state after changing society and getting rid of capitalism. And that would be linked up to a socialist federation of England, Scotland, and Wales. But it's also the case that even after that high level of unity which would be needed to get rid of the bosses system, it's quite possible that the divisions and mistrust between the between the communities could still be there for a period and it would raise questions of what type of arrangements you would uh, have for the different communities in the north in a socialist state. And that's something we have to be open open to and we have to, you know, see that uh, all minorities have democratic rights. Uh, uh, you know, on, under socialism. But I think that, you know, the, the basis for transforming society and getting rid of sectarianism and all those legacies and ills of capitalism and colonialism, the way, the way to do that is to fundamentally change living standards. And that would happen through a, a democratically, publicly owned economy in Ireland, uh, linked to Britain, which would see a massive transformation of everybody's living standards, the end of poverty, and that's the real way to take down the peace walls, the so-called peace walls, to end the division and see a, a genuine unity between the Catholic and uh, Protestant uh, working class. And I think, broadly speaking, that's our programme in some more detail. But it's uh, the position we've had since the start of us known as the Troubles uh, over the last 50 years or so. And I think it's the way to win over both Catholics and Protestants uh, in, in the situation in the North. And the the reason that I suppose this is kind of at the forefront of a lot of people's minds recently is um, as a result of the, the Brexit process going on, that maybe people haven't thought about the situation in Ireland for in the recent period, but it's kind of come to the fore again through that process. So what do you think has been the impact of Brexit on, on the situation in Northern Ireland and, and how working class people feel about that? Well, I think Brexit had a, had a big impact, a very big impact on people in the north of Ireland, Catholic and Protestant. Uh, the vote itself saw a majority to remain, 
and you know in the EU, but that vote, that referendum in the north of Ireland was largely along sectarian lines, with the majority of Catholics voting to remain and the majority of Protestants voting to leave. Having said that, there were still on either side those who voted opposite. Um, and there was also big parts of the population didn't vote as well. I mean, I think some of, one of the highest areas of abstention in that vote and anywhere in the UK was actually in places like uh, the Falls Road in West Belfast, which is in a, uh, you know, a poor working class area, Catholic mainly working class area. But if you like, the battle lines over Brexit have deepened a lot in Ireland since the referendum took place. And there's real genuine fears now, not you know, amongst both Catholic and Protestants, that there could be a return to a hard border and therefore a slide towards conflict, a return to you know, what was known as the Troubles. And uh, this is seen as a big change from over compared to the last um, 20, 25 years. The uh, Good Friday Agreement, which was signed uh, in 1998, was meant to see the end of conflict. It was meant to see a situation where um, the Assembly would mean peace for and power sharing between the different uh, sectarian-based parties and uh, the idea of an open border, in effect, where people could travel to the north and south without army checkpoints, which used to be there in the past, and huge uh, military fortifications and so on. And now that's all seemed to have been dramatically pushed back and in jeopardy, and uh, people are very worried that this could be the slippery slope back towards uh, a renewed conflict uh, in the north. And, and I think some of those fears are very genuine and they're real as well because it, it is a divided society. Nothing fundamentally has been overcome, as we warned at the time by the Good Friday Agreement. I mean, it, it, it arose out of the fact that people were war-weary after nearly 25 years of conflict, that there was a common feeling neither side could win. The IRA couldn't defeat the might of the British state and obviously they couldn't win over Protestants. Um, but the British state couldn't defeat the IRA completely either. So it was uh, seen as a, a stagnant um, or a stalemated uh, conflict. And at the same time, in, at that period of the 1990s, there was a lot of sectarian outrages and working class people were protesting about it and, and had enough. We also saw at that period the Sinn Féin shifted to the right, following the collapse of Stalinism, following the shift to the right by other organisations they would have associated with, like the ANC in South Africa or the PLO in the Middle East, and they, and they sued for a negotiated settlement, which meant finally signing up to the Good Friday Agreement, entering the Stormont Assembly, uh, agreeing to the so-called consent principle, and so on. And these were big changes by republicanism at that time. And it was meant to lay the basis for a period of peace. you know. And then in the future, the constitutional issue would be resolved one way or another. What Brexit has done is sort of uh, exploded all that and brought the issue of the border and the uh, divisions in society right to the fore. And, you know, it comes in, it just comes in the back also, of course, of the collapse of the Assembly government with Sinn Féin walking out of it. And this was after years of cuts by both the DUP, Democratic Unionist Party, and, and Sinn Féin, uh, which meant that their base, um, you know, has come under, come under pressure because of the cuts that are affecting working class people. So Brexit really has helped speed up those processes of destabilisation and uncertainty on uh, both sides. And it's led to real fears on both sides. I think from the point of view of Catholics, they fear that um, the hard border means that they're more, more if you like, entrapped 
in the Northern Ireland statelet, which they've uh, never wanted to be part of and which they associate with discrimination and oppression and uh, poverty, even if some of those things have largely been overcome. And from the other hand, you have the, 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 the Protestant population who fear that the Brexit situation could lead to a speeding up towards a, a border poll and that uh, could pose the danger of them being voted into United Ireland. And we would always argue that on a capitalist basis, Protestants won't accept that, that they would see that as them being pushed in as a discriminated against minority, that they feel they would be scapegoated for the ills of capitalism. And also, of course, they would feel that it would be a major assault and erosion of their uh, identity and their culture and so on. So really, Brexit has just brought these things to the fore and caused a massive destabilising situation at the present time. So how have we dealt with those kind of complications that have been thrown up by it? Well, it, I think first and foremost, we have to say that we stand for working class unity. We stand um, with the majority of the working class, actually, in you know resisting any slide back towards conflict and any slide certainly towards uh, greater sectarian division. That That's the mood in society at the moment amongst the majority of people. The problem is that doesn't mean it can't happen because that's been the mood before historically and then we've had a slide towards conflict because of the you know the contradictions in society and the sectarian divisions so that's our, that's our starting position i think um from the point of view of uh, the work you know the working class catholic and protestant i think we just have to be right attentive to their genuine concerns and fears so as i said from the point of view of catholics they greatly fear the fact that they feel more entrapped potentially in the north and also, they're very suspicious by the fact that the DUP is in, in a pact with the Tories. And uh, from the point of view of the Good Friday Agreement, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement enshrined in it is the idea that the uh, British government is a, is a neutral arbiter. But of course, it's not going to be seen as neutral if it's in hock to the DUP, as it has been over the last uh, couple of years. So there's a lot of suspicion and fears by Catholics over that situation. And then, as I said, Protestants also feel that uh, their position is coming under pressure. I mean, there's, there's been this argument historically by Republicans, and Sinn Féin used to have this argument, that in effect, uh, Protestant opposition to United Ireland was, was basically a ploy by the British uh, ruling class, and it was a, a veto, they call it a unionist veto, a way of trying to block the right for people to have uh, unification. And, uh, you know, we, we say that's a bit of, that's a flawed analysis in the sense that things have moved on a lot since partition in the early 1920s, when the British state at that time, British imperialism, wanted to keep the northeast of the island because it was the most economically advanced. It was important from a military strategic point of view. It had the big shipyards and so on. But that changed after the Second World War in the advent of uh, nuclear wars and so on. It wasn't so important anymore militarily. And also Northern Ireland became poorer. Industry began to decline. It's cost a huge amount of money to the exchequer, the subsidies that have to go to maintain uh, uh, Northern Ireland. And, and these factors actually led in the 50s and 60s to the British ruling class seriously trying to edge their way towards, you know, uh, pulling out, if you like, of, of Ireland and seeing if it's possible for some form of uh, unification. And of course, they'd want to still exploit the working class in doing so. But the fierce, they faced such a fierce reaction from Protestants that they weren't able to move in this direction without potentially provoking conflict and even civil war. And that and, and they, the, the responsibility for that lies with imperialism. They, they created sectarian divisions 
on the island of, uh, of Ireland and stoked them up and cultivated them. And now, if you like, it's like a Frankenstein's monster that is outside of their, uh, of their control. And even though things have changed a lot over the last 50 years, where, you know, the civil rights struggle, um, in a sense, was won because Catholics are not discriminated by the state and, and certainly not in the sense they were in the past. And so on, even though there's been those big changes and we've had the likes of Sinn Féin, Sharon Perth, the DUP, which would have, been, would have been unthinkable in the past, the reality is because capitalism has been in crisis, particularly over the last 10 years since the economic world economic crisis, the sectarian divisions have just grown greater. Uh, the peace, so-called peace walls, were set up actually, I think, 50 years ago as temporary partitions between Catholic and Protestant areas by the British Army. And at the time, there's, I mean, you can see it in the footage where the army chiefs are saying this is all temporary, only last a few weeks. They're still there 50 years later, and actually since the peace process began, they've grown. They're miles longer in Belfast and some other areas. And the majority of people, I think it's over 90% of people in public housing, live completely separately. Most children, young people, go to completely different schools, Catholic and Protestant schools, with diametrically opposing political viewpoints from the point of view of Catholics will generally vote for nationalists or Republican. And Protestants will vote for unionist uh, parties. And one of the few areas where there is any type of u- unity and co-mingling between the two communities are, are through the trade unions and in the workplace. And from our point of view, we think that's the basis. That's the potential basis for a new mass workers party in the north of Ireland, which uh, could be the basis of workers unity and a real challenge to the other parties, right wing sectarian parties and, and the bosses. So one of the specific things, uh, issues that you've mentioned, and I think a lot of people are thinking about, is the possibility of a border poll. What's been the position that we've put forward uh, in relation to that issue? Well, we, we think, you know, the, bo- the border poll, is, it's been raised mainly by Sinn Féin over the last number of years, and, and in particular since the, uh, since the Brexit vote. And their leaders, North and South, have said this is now central centre stage. To their policy, and uh, the border poll, it, it you know, shorthand really for not just one but another vote as well, which would take place in the south at the same time. These are part of the Good Friday Agreement. Sinn Fein sort of did a trade-off in a way. They accepted the so-called consent principle. In other words, they dropped their idea that they had historically that uh, there was a unionist veto. That was stopping that that was there in place to stop United Ireland, in the Good Friday Agreement they went a long way from a traditional Republican point of view, to accepting that Protestant consent had to exist before you've United Ireland and in a sense of course you have to win over both Catholics and Protestants to change society and we had said for a long time that was uh, you know a false policy by the by by Sinn Fein, but part of that trade off if you like from Sinn Fein's point of view is that. Also contained in the Good Friday Agreement is the idea that if there's a, I think the term is something like a significant material change in circumstances, that could trigger a border poll, uh, or in other words, a poll on the future of the status of uh, Northern Ireland. Now that has to be agreed and called by the Northern Ireland Secretary of State. So basically the British government has to agree to do it. And I think it takes place at the same time, would have to take place at the same time as a similar poll in the south of Ireland, and again, the Southern Irish government of the day would have to agree and decide on that. And up until now, you know, uh, both governments have said, well, there's been no significant change to warrant calling that poll. 
but changes are taking place and they, they will be faced with you know tricky issues in the next few years. It's uh, estimated that the Catholic population has grown at a faster rate than the Protestant population and the next census takes place in 2021, which is also the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Northern Ireland state. So it's full of symbolic power. And it is possible that the Catholic population could just scrape past the 50% mark by that census. It's not, it's not guaranteed at all, but it's a possibility that that, that can ta- take place. I think that if that happens, that would obviously be a strong argument for a significant material change, and certainly Sinn Féin and nationalists who want a border poll will campaign on that issue. The British government and the, and the Southern Irish government I think we'll probably try and delay that as long as possible because they know themselves this is going to create a heightened sectarian uh, polarisation by having such a poll. But they can't do it indefinitely because there will be a strong mood amongst Catholics that can grow for such a poll to take place. Particularly if we still, in one form or another, have a sort of Brexit crisis continuing and uh, you know Catholics in the North feel that they're better off in a united Ireland uh, uh, and so on. So it, it's a real possibility this could be on the cards in the next uh, few years. And uh, I mean, our position is that we can understand and, and sympathise with the democratic and the national sentiments of, of working class Catholics who would support the idea of a border poll. And of course, that's born out of ultimately centuries of oppression, but particularly the last number of decades in, in Northern Ireland, where Catholics were treated like second class citizens. Uh, and even though there's been big changes on civil rights and discrimination and so on, as I outlined earlier, the majority of Catholics still are, are, are feel alien in Northern Ireland and don't feel that it's a state for them, uh, just as Protestants don't feel that United Ireland's a state for them either. Um, so, so, so there could be a strong push for a border poll to take place. I mean, we, we would not support it because it would mean a sectarian headcount and it would mean a greater polarisation, and it would not mean a resolution to the problem of the national question. And from the point of view of Catholic working class people, we would have to just be honest and say there's a lot, this will not deliver some sort of uh, you know, United Ireland where you see a real change in circumstances and living standards. It will not do that at all. It will, it will lead to a greater polarisation and potentially even conflict coming out of it. And we just have to see how things would unfold if it did take place. I mean, say, for example, there was a 51% win by nationalists or Catholics in favour of uh, United Ireland, and that was similar majority in the south as well of Ireland. If that did take place, you, know, you have to pose the question, does that lead to United Ireland? Does it lead to a resolution of the national question? And, re- you know, obviously it doesn't because there's still a million or so Protestants who are not going to, just because they've been voted out, if you like, are going to accept that situation. No more than Catholics, when they are a minority in Northern Ireland for decades, accepted or had to accept that they just have to put up with being a minority within uh, within within the North, and therefore it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a resolution, and it actually could be a dangerous slide towards greater conflict, and that's why I think actually we have to be a bit open minded about what might happen if that was to uh, that sort of vote was to take place. I think actually that the British and Irish ruling classes under the pressure from American imperialism as well, which was very involved in the Good Friday Agreement. I think I think those social forces would, would really do everything to try and uh, you know try try and hold the situation together. And uh, I think that means that they could put forward some ideas for some some types some type of north south transitory bodies that falls way short 
of United Ireland in a you know in the sense of we understand modern nation states, but at the same time something that Sinn Fein and their supporters could sell as a stepping stone, as 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 a further step towards United Ireland. I think that's that's a possibility that uh, we ha- we have to uh, uh, think about because obviously it's not in their interest to have an eruption of conflict again that cuts across businesses, cuts across profits, and it can spill over into Britain and uh, other, other other parts of uh, Europe, and, and it's a real da- could be a real dangerous situation. But at best, that would be a, a temporary fudge, and it wouldn't resolve anything fundamentally. But at worst, such a vote could actually just lead to a stoking up of sectarian divisions and conflict, and the redevelopment of paramilitaries, um, loyalist and republican, and uh, renewed conflict and even troops back on the streets and uh, so on. And it wouldn't just be a replay of what we saw with the civil rights struggle and then the descent into the conflict. I think a new conflict in this period would would have a mu- would be of a much more sort of uh, right-wing character, if you like, on, on both sides. And uh, it would be much more over territory, It'd be more akin to what took place with the breakup of the former Yugoslavia than the situation in the north of of Ireland in the 1970s and 80s, where a lot of the Republican groups, because they were building on work, a working class base, were espousing, formally speaking, socialist ideas. I don't think that veneer would be there this time, and it would be a much more, you know, be much more of a sort of ethnic collision between uh, two different opposing sides. And of course, that's not in the interest of the working class at all. Okay, thanks. That's uh, really interesting on that. Is there any final points you'd like to to make on the issue of uh, the national question in general or in Ireland? Well, well, I think, you know, having made those points, I mean, at the same time, socialists are optimistic. And we do think there is a a solution uh, to the the national question in Ireland. And that includes, you know, a, a solution that deals with the genuine democratic and national aspirations of Catholics, and also deals with the genuine fears of uh, the Protestant community uh, in the North as well. And we think that, if you look historically, that's not going to be met by capitalism. They've not been able to do it. They've created the problem historically. You could argue that their best chance to overcome the national question and the divisions was in the 1990s and the 2000s, because they had their Good Friday Agreement they got the two most extreme parties, if you like, in the previous conflict together. And for a number of years, there's actually economic growth internationally. This was the period they said they would have the peace dividend in working class areas. And that's hardly materialised at all for most people. And then, of course, we've had in the last 10 years, world economic crisis and capitalist crisis. And have had huge cuts carried out by the central governments here in Britain, but also by Sinn Féin and the DUP. And therefore, if you like, from a capitalist point of view, that this, this small window of opportunity to really develop their programme, if you like, on the, on the basis of their system to overcome the problems, and they're incapable of doing it. And we've actually got now greater division over the last number of years. But on the other hand, also, we'd have to say all the other political forces have failed. Nationalism has failed. The parties in, the, in Southern Ireland and the, and the governments have failed as well to overcome the divisions. And republicanism has failed because we had Sinn Féin's 25-year-long, or the Sinn Féin and the IRA, and their 25-year-long armed campaign, which uh, was not able to drive out the British state and re- and unify the country. As I explained earlier, they, instead they had to go to the negotiating t- table and give up, up, up a lot of their traditional um, goals. So that, that, that sort of method and those ideas have failed as well. And we would say, what 
the solution is to go back to the ideas of people like James Connolly and James Larkin, leaders of the Irish Labour movement in the um, early uh, 20th uh, century. And they have a, you know, a rich history of working class struggle. And we've seen it many times in Irish history, in, in modern history, where there's been periods of industrialised struggle and class struggle, which has brought Catholics and Protestants together and has opened up the opportunity of really developing class politics and putting forward um, socialist ideas. So, for example, um, the 1907 uh, strike, Docker strike in Belfast, the 1919 engineering strike 100 years ago in Belfast, um, which is almost like a, a revolt of the city of Catholics and Protestants. After a partition, it took a number of years for the working class to, over, to recover from that situation. But we saw the uh, 1932 outdoor relief strike, which again saw Catholics and Protestants coming together and shaking the Stormont Unionist regime that existed at that point. And we had the old Northern Ireland Labour Party, which uh, was certainly flawed, but it did bring together Catholics and Protestants. And uh, in the 1960s, it reached its highest votes and began to seriously threaten the right-wing Nationalist Party and the uh, Ulster Unionist Party, which had ruled the roost for decades. And then we had the massive explosion of the civil rights struggle, which is a you know a huge progressive, hugely progressive movement. But unfortunately, the socialist wing within it was was uh, was was there, very very courageous, but but weak, and it was uh, dominated that movement by right wing nationalists. And the Northern Ireland Labour Party made the crucial mistake of not intervening, and if anything, being seen by most Catholics to be pro unionist in that situation. And that party just went to dust in effect in the nineteen seventies when society was really convulsed by the uh, by by the by the troubles. So I mean. Uh, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that you, you can have these progressive movements, if they don't capitalise on the opportunities, then of course we can see a return to greater sectarian division. And But I think that at the present time in, in Ireland, there's real opportunities to develop class politics. I think there really is a yearning, particularly amongst young people, um, for something new, uh, for you know a more, a more sort of progressive society. And uh, they want they would yearn for a party that can take up the sort of sectarian dinosaurs and all their backward ideas on social issues and so on. And I think if we had a, a workers' party that put forward those sorts of policies and a fighting socialist program, that can be very attractive to the vast majority of people who don't want to return to conflict, but do want to have their uh, society changed. And it's through that social change and that struggle for a new society that the national question and the old sectarian divisions can finally be overcome. Absolutely. I think that's been a, a really good outline of how a working class and socialist programme is, is the only way to uh, overcome, um, offer the possibility of overcoming the national question uh, in all the examples. And we'll have to come back in future episodes of the podcast to go into more detail on some of the other examples of, uh, of where the national question is a big issue as well. So thanks very much for joining us, Niall. Thank you. There's loads to read on Northern Ireland, Brexit and the national question in general. Take a look at the notes for today's episode at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. If that discussion has prompted questions in your head, we'd love to hear them and we'll try to answer them in a future episode. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk And to hear more like this, don't forget to click subscribe in your podcast app.